Is anyone else super pumped right now? Is it me? Woo! Man, I love Power Rangers. I've, I've been a big fan of them for years, and even in college, my roommate was a huge fan, and his name, uh, Kevin, just this big nerd, loved Power Rangers, knew all the different types, like all 16 types of Power Rangers, like Space Force and Train Force. It was, it was weird. I love the bad English dubbing. I, I love how the alter egos of the Power Rangers, like the body types, don't match, and no one's like, that's not weird. Like there's some strange continuity errors that no one really addresses. And then, like, that Zord, the big thing on the ground, the robot is called a Zord. Um, <laughs> that Zord is like a grown man in a costume, and it's, like, not obvious that it's anything else. It's just like a man in a costume laying on the ground, like, near a smoke machine or something. It's, it's really... <laughs> I love it. Honestly, the poor production quality is one of the reasons I'm into that. So, <laughs> And <laughs> another reason... And I've always loved their ability to morph and to transform and to change. That's something I'm, I'm really into. And this, uh, they can go and do extraordinary things. And they have the rally cry whenever they have to go fight. They go, it's morphin' time. And they change into the superhero alter ego. And they go fight uh, Rita Repulsa, if you know the canon. And they just like, save the world as much as they can. And it's incredible. And this ability to transform is the same thing Paul is talking about in Romans 12, 1 and 2 this morning. How cool is that? Today we're starting the next part of our study in Romans entitled Morph. Morph. That's it. Paul, a first century Christian missionary and an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ, is writing a letter to the church in Rome. In that letter, Paul tells the church in Rome to be transformed by the renewing of their minds. In Greek, the word for transformation is morphe. It's set up on the screen. This word means to transform, but it means to change in your very essence. Paul, for 11 chapters, has covered an enormous, huge idea that the righteousness of God can justify sinners through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Romans 12 is where rubber meets the road. Paul begins a discussion with the church in Rome about what transformation looks like on an everyday level. What does, it, what does transformation look like? How do I act? What are things transformed people do? And how are we transformed? Those are the questions Paul answers in Romans 12. And uh, Paul begins by bringing up our need to transform from our old selves into our uh, new selves, like Power Rangers, like Christian Morphin time. And we're going to put our little uh, medallion things in front of us, and, and we're going to call on God's strength to help us change, and we're going to say, it's Morphin time, like like seven times in this sermon, so buckle up. Man. So follow along with me in Romans 12, 1 through 2. If you do not have your Bible, it's going to be up on the screen. If you're using your phone, I read from the English Standard Version. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When we begin to read Romans 12, we should try and keep in mind all the things Paul has been saying for 11 chapters. Paul has discussed the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul has discussed the anguish and hope he feels over his brothers Israel neglecting Jesus as their Messiah and countless other things. Um, But the main idea that Paul is threading through this entire 
book is the righteousness of God can save sinners only through faith in Jesus Christ. Now Paul is telling us how we live like we believe God saves sinners through faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, in verse 1, the beginning of chapter 12 is, is built on the foundation of the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. Paul's been saying a lot, and now he's answering the incredibly important question, so what? Like, right, we all hear you, Paul. The church of Rome is like, cool, got it. Jesus saves people. What does that mean? And in light of all the incredible things Paul's talked about so far, how is the church in Rome expected to respond? This is like the application part of the sermon. When we're reading this, it's like this is what Paul wants us to do. Like actions. These are the things that we're going to go and do in the real world with our hands and feet. And um, Paul answered the so what question by telling the church in Rome, God's mercies produce change in the lives of believers. God's mercies produce change in the lives of believers. Those changes are real and they're big. And just like the Power Rangers morph into their super warrior alter egos when evil threatens to destroy the world. Christians morph when they encounter the incredible mercies of God. Just like the church in Rome, believers today are expected to transform when they meet Jesus or worship God. It's morphing time, right? That's what Paul says. But when morphing happens, I don't just do things Jesus would have done. I find myself uh, wanting to do things. They appeal to me. They make sense to me now. I don't just go around trying to do the right thing because of God's mercy in Jesus. I'm made into the right kind of person. Right? I don't need the WWJD bracelet, necklace, or uh, tattoo necessarily. While those things are fine, don't hear what I'm not saying. Because Jesus has really changed me. And now I'm the kind of person that does transformed things. Because of God's mercy, transformation is possible. Write that down. I mean, everyone in this room desires transformation of some sort, right? Uh, that's why people go to therapy or counseling. That's why I've been in therapy for years. It's just enjoyable. I love the growth that comes from it. I, even reading self-help books or making New Year's resolution or going to see motivational speakers or going to the gym, right? <laughs> Grueling. <laughs> and this all sounds great, but hey, Paul, change is really difficult. We look at the Power Rangers and we think, yeah, that's really awesome. They can do incredible things. I can't morph, though, Paul. I don't have superpowers like they do. I mean, can you and I really change at all, actually? That's a good question that we'd ask to Paul this morning. Have you heard that a leopard can't change its spots? I've been this person my whole life, and making huge changes is really, really, really difficult. And honestly, how often do you and I make huge changes? It just doesn't happen that regularly. And... I honestly, like when I change my pants, I fall over sometimes, right? I, like that's why I change by my bed, so if I fall, I don't get hurt, right? Changes are scary too, <laughs> Paul doesn't seem to get it. Maybe he does. Paul, haven't I made enough changes in my life? I mean, since I've come to Rooftop, I've grown emotionally, I've I made some professional changes. My administration is much better. Ask any of my volunteers. It's much better now than it was two years ago. 
But there was always something in the background that needed to change that I ignored. My weight. Clifford. I grew up a lot since coming to Rooftop. I became a better student in pursuing my Masters of Divinity, but I kept gaining weight. I knew I had to change, but I never made the effort. I relegated myself to believing that God only cared about my mind and my heart and my spirit and not my body. And then eventually I would just go and die, and then in heaven I'd have my sexy heaven body. <laughs> right? And I would look real good. I didn't want to put in the change, because change is really, really hard. My hope in God and Jesus was so shallow that I only thought they wanted to change my heart or spirit and didn't care to help me change my body. I was far too pleased to remain at my biggest size of almost 400 pounds. I didn't live like Jesus transformed me. At least my body didn't reflect that. I was fighting hard battles because I personally was far too lazy to lose weight. There's nothing wrong with me. I just eat a lot because I wasn't convinced that the change was possible. It wasn't morphin' time. But God, from the very beginning of my time at Rooftop, addressed my weight. In the voices and prayers of kind, loving, and compassionate people, God changed my mind about my body and my health. Have you ever heard the idea that you don't buy someone a scale as a gift? Right? Who wants that to be reminded of how much they weigh? We're already self-conscious enough. Well, my beloved friend and brother, Pastor Jeremy, <laughs> bought me a gift for Christmas of December 2015. He threw that taboo right out the window. It's like, Donnie, here's a scale, and it goes up to 400 pounds. <laughs> Perfect. Right where I needed it to be. But I ignored that scale for a really long time. And Julie actually kept having conversations with me. Donnie... Time to change. In love and compassion and kindness like Jesus would, not in a rude way. But I kept thinking about that scale and I kept thinking about how big I was. And then a good friend of mine began her weight loss journey and I was inspired to start up again. And slowly, intentionally, and with a lot of effort, I made my way to Planet Fitness every day, week after week, and month after month. I started to lose weight. Losing weight is really difficult, and it's taken a lot of work. That weight loss only happened, though, because God changed my mind. My trans the transformation in my life only occurred because God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, changed how I think. But as hard as that change was by God's working on me, change is possible. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Change is possible. Transformation by God's power can be achieved. You and I, with God's help, can live transformed lives. We no longer must live miserable pre-Jesus lives. We can be transformed into fully devoted followers of Jesus. It's morphin' time. There it is, it's back. And if we talk about the need to morph, I think Paul introduces some awesome ideas we're going to talk about. I can't get into everything, unfortunately. I wish I had two hours. Um, but Paul introduces, these are the three ideas we're going to talk about. The first one is, God shows his mercy to us so we can worship him. The second one is, 
no longer be conformed to this world. And the third one is we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Uh, so we'll go through them one at a time and just talk about them and we'll camp out in some places too. Uh, thought one. God shows his mercy to us so that we can worship him. Go to Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, underline this, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's important to note that Paul says God's mercies compel us to worship him. Worshiping, worshiping God isn't something you do out of the motivation of fear. And fear-based worship only works if gospel transformation isn't our goal. Fear-based obedience is negative and stops us from, fear, from being grateful for God's grace. I'm not saying don't fear the Lord. The Bible says that. Pain respect him, but don't do it out of a motivation of just fear. Just fear gets you nowhere. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love, the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We're motivated to worship God because he is merciful, kind, and loving. And fear-based worship loses its gas after a while because fear is draining. It was hard growing up in my house with my father. Uh, he reacted in anger and often not in compassion. He yelled almost every day he was home at my brother, my sister, my mother, and I. His hospitality, not hospitality, his hospitality, Hostility, different words, held my emotions captive. And if any of the rooftops remember my first few weeks here, I, was, I couldn't stop crying all the time because of things that came from my house. So when I got to college, I got away from my dad. I realized how exhausted I was and how tiring it is to be afraid of someone and how I didn't want to be near him. And the fear-based obedience he desired from me made me indifferent towards him. It's hard to muster the strength to care to someone who keeps you captive in the cage of their own emotions, which is something I still struggle with today, indifference, because my dad is sitting in prison for the seemingly hundredth time now. My relationship with my dad is bitter, and it's getting better because of God's grace, and it's only bitter because he led with fear. Like any, any parents in this room, no leading with fear will alienate your children away from you. It certainly did me. Thankfully, though, you and I have a father who leads us with his mercies and with his grace. By his grace, you were saved. We follow God because he's merciful to us. God doesn't lead with fear. He leads us with mercy. We worship him because he's merciful, not because he's domineering. He's merciful. I'm saying, get that. If you leave with nothing, get that. And that mercy leads us to being living sacrifices. 
And honestly, I've read a lot about what it means to be a living sacrifice and how Paul is taking that from the Old Testament and repurposing it in the New Testament, now in the, in the New Covenant, all this, a lot of books, a lot of big books about the Bible. And there are as many opinions as there are authors. <laughs> um, but I was like, I've been thinking about this, so I'll give it a shot. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were offered to God for the forgiveness of sins. Scripture says if these sacrifices were offered in humility, they would be pleasing to God. He would be happy to forgive someone's sins if they offered sacrifice with a contrite and broken heart. The animal being offered would belong to God entirely. Once the sacrifice is on the altar, it's God's. When God says, when Paul says, be a living sacrifice, I believe he's saying that our lives must be offered to God in humility and in service to him. That is being a living sacrifice. Also, that you and I must live mindfully of the fact that our whole existence belongs to God. The blood in our veins, that's God's. Like all the possessions and money we have in our bank account, none of that is yours. All of that is God's. The children you parent and raise in your houses, they are not yours. They are God's. We'll be living like we belong to someone greater than ourselves if we begin living like living sacrifice. We won't look like anything in this world. Really, if anything, we should be like living, we should live like living sacrifices because we have the perfect example in Jesus Christ. If anything, it makes us more like him. And that should be our goal. We live sacrificially for our family's sake. We read stories to our children when we are tired, with tired eyes, knowing that our compassion steers them towards the cross. We take time to check on our wives' and husbands' hearts at the end of long days when I just want to get a beer and watch the game or anything else because God calls us to be shepherds of the people he entrusts to us. Living sacrificially is living holistically with intention that you are bringing the goodness and peace of God to every situation in your life. That's being a living sacrifice. And it looks nothing like this world because we're living for something much greater. Which brings us to our next point. To truly worship God, we can't be conformed to this world. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world. But what does it mean to be conformed? Conforming to something just means compliance with a standard. Conformity to the world means we shape our ethics, our beliefs after the values and principles of the world we share in its practices. When you and I agree that we should be doing something because the world is doing it, we're conforming. And Paul says, that's risky. That's not great. When we look like the world but claim to follow Jesus, the power of the world looks incredible, but our devotion to Jesus looks really shallow. And conformity happens in so many ways. We study how the world acts and we act like it. We look at how the world dresses and we dress that way. We fail to keep a watchful demeanor when we allow the world to take control of us. We let things passively happen to us that we don't know are shaping us, like music videos and social media and 
television and the books we read. We, we're conformed to this world in our education when we're not critical of the author's positions and the books in front of us. We're conformed to this world in our friendships when our very best friends are non-believers or active antagonists against God's church. Conformity is like gravity. We allow it to push on us without paying much attention to how we're reacting against it. Conformity is when we allow our new favorite news networks to decide what we're thinking. It's for either side of the political aisle. Conformity is when we lead with apathy towards people Jesus would be excited to hang out with. When we allow ourselves to be slowly cast into an iron mold of the world's standards, ethics, and ideals, that is conformity, and that is the danger Paul is warning about. Conformity is like the black mold that creeps into your heart and mind. It takes over the mildewy parts of you, the parts you ignore or don't pay attention to, until you honestly look below the surface and see there's too much here and I can't take care of it. The mold is far too great for us to handle. And in my own life, I conform to this world far more often than I would like. Honestly, when I'm watching the news and they tell me to hate something or be against something, I often don't think about it and I just agree. And maybe that's because I'm not mindful or maybe it's because I'm human. And I will admit my sins to my church when I'm not thoughtful, when I'm, when, when I'm hanging out with other guys, sometimes I objectify women just to fit in. and I'm sorry. And that's my mold. What's yours? And if I were honest with you this morning, I'd say I prefer the conformity to the world over the transformation available in Jesus because it's just easier. I don't have to worry about it. But just because it's easier doesn't mean it's not worth our time. And Jesus is certainly worth our time. It's a struggle every day to fight against being conformed to this world. But we must keep fighting. We cannot hate people just because we're told to or at all. We cannot hate political parties because they're different and deny that they're human. We cannot hate people who are different from us. Luckily... Jesus comes in and he helps to remove that. He removes, he renovates us. He removes the mold slowly, gently, meticulously. He's the one changing us. He's the one renovating the pantries of our hearts and our mind. He is the one doing all of that work. He's shaping us, removing our black mold and molding us into creatures that look not like this world, but look like him and his father Something so much better. Jesus was kind to people who needed his kindness. He touched people with skin disease that society hated. Jesus hung out at midday to talk to women who needed help in the scorching heat. Jesus fought battles with kindness and led his disciples with stern compassion, and he never considered that one man was more important than another, which is something I struggle with. And he loved the world even to the point of dying for it. God's mercies allow us to escape the need to be conformed to this world because God calls us to be conformed to the image of his son. You're free to be conformed to Jesus and not this world. The shackles are off. You're free from having to hate people you're told to. 
You're free from having to strive for anything except being like Christ. The ultimate act of conformity smashing is pursuing Jesus with everything that you got. When we find Jesus, we begin to lose our mold, we begin to break our molds. You're free from being anything but belonging to Jesus and reveling in that truth. Amen. The example of Christ is pushing back against the norms and standards prescribed to everyone by a broken world. And Jesus is saying with mercy, No, my child, there is a better way, a transformed way. Which brings us to our final point. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Uh, <laughs> Romans 12, 2, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. To Paul, being transformed is when God changes how you think, and in doing so, changes your entire life. That's the kind of transformation Paul is talking about. Change happening in the heart that flows out through your hands and feet. Transformation isn't some pseudo-spiritual thing that only happens inside of you, inside of your heart and mind. Well, it does happen there. It happens there and then flows out. Your life changes according to the inner transformation that's happening. And that's all well and good, Paul, but even after reading this, I'm stuck with thinking, cool, but how does change even happen? As we've said before, change is hard. Leopards can't change its spots. I was born this way. We're adverse to change because it's difficult, but change is necessary. Have any of you ever worked in a nursery before? What happens when you leave a baby in a dirty diaper? Nothing good. Right? It's obvious. Change needs to happen when we're left in our own mess. God calls us to change, even if it's hard. But how does that transformation happen? Absolutely by the work of the Holy Spirit and nothing less. But God, in his perfect will, gives you the freedom to act responsibly in response to him. True, authentic Christian change occurs when you and I are completely and utterly dependent on God. When Paul says, be transformed, he's saying, you be transformed by God. God is the only person who makes decisive changes in your life. He works with you in your life to change you, and this isn't something you do on your own power. It's only by the Holy Spirit. We depend on him, his actions, his timing. Everything you have is at his disposal. And when you're dependent on God, you're living like a living sacrifice. I get the transformation is hard. Remember those old pictures of me? I get it. Transformation is real hard. And it takes a lot longer than I want it to. But just because something is hard does not mean it's unattainable. The difficulty of transformation is nothing compared to the beauty of belonging to Jesus and looking like him. Being transformed by God happens in his community, built on his truth. Are you part of a small group? If you're part of a small group, do you go? If you're not, why? (laughs) Do you have a Jesus-centered community that you regularly do life with? Or is church just something on your to-do list to check off, I'm good, I can go watch the game, or I can go to lunch? 
Do you read God's word with people, with your husband and wife and kids at the dinner table? Are you giving your time to organizations dedicated to God's kingdom? Like Jesus gives his time to us in listening to our prayers and interceding for us to God. Like Jesus gives time to the poor. Like Jesus gives time to literally shaping and upholding all of creation every moment of every part of existence. When you are giving your time to God's, no, where are you giving your time to God's kingdom is my question. And if you're not, why aren't you? Transformation occurs in community centered on God's truth. This isn't a push to get you into small group. That's not, this isn't even an advertisement. We didn't plan for this. I'm just saying that God transforms people in his church. And if you can't be a part of his church, you're not in his communities. And if you're not in his communities of people where his Holy Spirit is, change doesn't occur. When you find Jesus, you're called to serve in his kingdom, to be a living sacrifice. You experience the transformation God has waiting for you when you embrace that truth. I completely get that transformation is hard, but there's much more to lose in staying in our mold. There's much more to lose in staying in our dirty diapers. There's much more to lose without Jesus. This morning, if you don't know him, Jesus would love to know you. My Jesus is gentle, and he is kind, and he is compassionate, and he would love to transform your whole life. This doesn't mean a lot of money and new cars. This means fully embracing the humanity that God has laid out for you. He's the good shepherd who gives rest to his tired sheep. He's the creator and sustainer of all things, and he's working every day to sustain you regardless of if you love him or not. He is selfless but jealous for you. He wants to change your diaper and renovate your heart and change your life. I'll be up here in the front if you want to come and talk about how Jesus really changes things because it's morphin' time. Let's pray. God, thank you for a savior that changes things. Thank you for a compassionate, kind, merciful savior we have in Jesus. Thank you for sending him here to earth in your mercy. Thank you so much for all you're doing and sustaining us. God, we pray for the people in our lives who don't know your transformation, that you would prick their hearts to come and run to your cross. And then we can be conduits of your grace and mercy to people in need. Help us to live sacrificially. Help us to pray for our lost friends and family. Help us to look like you and not like this world. Thank you for your son Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. It's in his name we pray.